Hello and welcome back to my podcast, Why Me? I'm your host, Jake. In this episode, I sat down with my friend Jane to talk about her decisions to make a big change in her career as well as her marriage. Listen to this episode if you want to learn how Jane's inner pilot light helped guide her decisions, how she now finds meaning in what she does, and how we can all learn to be better listeners in order to support each other. Enjoy. So hello and welcome back to the podcast, Why Me? I'm here with my friend, mentor, aunt. (laughs) Um, This is episode 13 and today we're going to talk about how do you make decisions in your life and how you feel comfortable and confident in those decisions as well as how Jane finds meaning and is so good at what she does. So first off, can you just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are. Uh, Thank you, Jake. So introduce myself. I'm Jane and um, I have been very fortunate to do many fun things in my life and to have uh, followed my passion and, and, and figured it out. It can take time to figure that out, and that's so normal. And mm-hmm. as you go through life, that's what I found that's interesting. So I would say, probably for me, the, the biggest thing is is being curious. and Because when you're curious, then things that happen in, to you in your life can just seem as, well, so that happened. Um, how do I deal with that? I'll move on, and then life will bring me something else. Because mm-hmm. I really think that's what we're here to do. We're here to, to grow and experience life. And by that, I don't mean um, living a horrible life by accepting things that are really tough and, and not doing anything about them. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I don't believe that at all. And I think we're almost like people equating to flowers in a meadow. You, you know, you're a flower in the meadow and there are all these flowers around you and they're here to help you. And that's what a lot of people take a while to understand rather than competing with all these people, these people are actually here to help you as you are to help them. So that's really how I see my life. And you said you found your passion. What's your, what's your passion? Would you say, I mean, you can have more than one. Yes. Because I have a number of passions, but my passion (laughs) is people really. That's my passion and, and wanting to help people. And that's not unique Many people, zillions of people do that, which is a great thing. Mm -hmm. But I think everybody comes to the planet with gifts to bring. And when you are, when you are restricted or you restrict yourself from giving your gifts, that's when frustration sets in, big frustration. So, uh, and some people, you know, depending on where they live, they need to make a lot of money to live where they live. And I get that. So they go after a career that gives them a lot of money. I get that. And then their hobbies, they do things that make them really happy. Or they retire early so they can do things that make them happy. Some people, if they move to a smaller place where it doesn't cost as much money, sometimes they can take a job where, you know, they they don't have to make as much money and they're still doing passions. And they, I think that you uncover passions and interests your whole life as you move through life and who you expose yourself Mm -hmm. to and what you allow yourself to learn from other people 
you say, oh, that's an interest. Some people get put off by the word passion. And I understand that. Um, what, what about that is, do they get put off by? They get worried that they don't seem excited enough about something, right. that they're not into it wholly, fully. And, and I understand that. So uh, as you know, part of my background is uh, having studied Jungian psychology and understanding people from that er- that perspective. Different types of people will say, oh, I'm so passionate about something. And another person would say, well, I really like doing that. And for them, each of them, it means the same thing. So um, through, so let me just rephrase that you, you will find interests throughout your life and allow yourself to explore them and see what you like to do. And then when you don't want to do them anymore, that's okay. Right. Move on and find something else. It's interesting because I read an article and I've heard a couple people say this, but some would say that telling people as career advice, find your passion, find what you love to do is actually not good advice because they have really high expectations for, for what they're doing. Would you agree with that? I would totally agree with that. I think if anybody is looking for career advice and I do a lot of career coaching as, as, and is find someone, and I don't mean me just, but find somebody who listens to you. you. It could be, but, but this isn't about selling me. It just, Find someone who is is respecting you and listening to what you like to do and where you've had experience and who isn't saying, well, if you can't find your passion, then then, for, then forget it. Um, you're not going to be happy. That's not true. Mm-hmm. You can be on a scale of 1 to 10. If your job is making you 6 out of 10 happy, that, that can be good enough. Right. The key with the job is make sure you have a boss who respects you and you respect. So the job, of course, you know, has to be legal. It has to be doing decent things. Well, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> well, it should be. Um, but the key, the key to, you, to job happiness is the boss, hmm. whoever you report to. And who you work with. The people around you, yes. But even more key is your boss. Right. So I want to talk a little bit about you made a big change from the corporate world, the marketing world to becoming a coach, a life coach. So I wanted to hear a little bit about how you made this decision and the challenging aspects along the way that led you to that. So you're right. I was in advertising, marketing. Um, I had a great time. How long did you work? 13 years. So I don't regret one minute of it at a a ball. Mm -hmm. And... My background, just education-wise, is a history degree, honors history degree, with a minor in organizational behavior, plus a Bachelor of Education in counseling, high school. And I realized that um, I'd run my own business for a couple of summers, and I thought that was a lot of fun. And I ended up getting into advertising, which I really loved, and met fascinating people there. And at the time, Canada was manufacturing a lot of goods, the goods that I was working on, Canada was making itself. Right. And then things changed, and a lot of that manufacturing died. And so Canada lost a lot, and other as other countries have done. Um, they became more sales-oriented rather than making the marketing decisions because um, that's just the way it works. So um, why did I leave it? I, I think I saw the writing on the wall. Um, I was 38 when I left it. Um 
reading some interesting books later on, they talk about 38 years old, a lot of people actually sort of, uh, here's a strange word, but they sort of wake up. They sort of go, oh, wait a minute, what am I doing? I've liked it, but am I actually doing what I want to do? It's probably that coming close to 40 mark that, that people can say, hey, am I doing what I want to do? Right. And if you read about cultures around the world, different cultures at different times talk about stopping and breathing and what are you doing for example I think there's I don't know it's a group of people in India who when you turn 50 you're all just stop and take the year off and figure out who you are Mm. and what you're doing and it doesn't mean anything's wrong it's just a acknowledging your life and are you going where you want to go so I enjoyed it what did I stop as I said the the fact that we weren't manufacturing anymore worried me um the fact that my people were working so hard and I, I got to be pretty senior and I only tell you that just because I was looking at how are my people doing, how can I help them more and the company went from private to public and there was great pressure on um, you know, quarterly, what's, what's the stock price and that's such short-term thinking and it doesn't look after people and I was very, I was not happy about having to push my people to work harder and not able to give them what I wanted in terms of time off and money. And um, I, I sort of had a, a values situation for me where I couldn't put my hand on my heart and say, I'm doing what I really want to do for these people. Mm. And I, that was, so those, those two things made me stop. So I quit and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I got some counseling myself. I got some coaching myself. Um, and then I realized the thing I wanted to do right away was go to visit the people I love, whoever they lived in the world, um, which it might sound a bit over the top, but again, it's that people thing. And I'd met people from all over and I, you know, people collect stamps. I collect people. So I wanted to go and see them and people I really cared about. So I did that for about six months, which was wonderful. I just traveled to all kinds of different places. Where'd you go? I went to Greece. I went to, um... Uh, Switzerland, I went to England, I went to the United States, I um, went to Canada. Um, So it it was just to see the people I really wanted to see and had a ball. And then came back and said, okay, now now what are we going to do? Now what? Okay, you've accomplished that, but now what? Got to make some money, you know. Um, And uh, I looked around and a friend of mine who I had gone to school with said, look at this look at this thing I think you might find it interesting and it was a um, what I've got into now it, it's it's a, a tool for a communications tool for helping people to understand how they tend to interact with people how they tend to make decisions <clears throat> how to work with people even better um, what styles of communication they use what motivates them etc and I thought when I got it I thought wow this is really interesting and it's underpinned by Carl Jung and um, I thought, I could really apply this. I can think of so many situations I was in with all these different clients I had where, you know, I might go and, and somebody was about to approve a script. Uh, for in, and in the, in the world of presenting scripts to clients, the junior client starts first, and then the middle client, and then the senior client, and they look at it and they speak about it. And the pressure on the junior client is immense. Right. And so, um, and then you get to the senior client, and depending on who they are, if they're also worried about a little bit, they will say no. And I would watch many pieces of creative that would have been excellent get rejected and think, why? We could do this better. I know we can do this better. So um, scroll forward to when I finished this, uh, got this profile and thought this was really cool. Then I got 
trained and how to use it. And then my clients very kindly were saying, well, what are you doing now and show me. And so I showed this one client who immediately said, get in here and do this with my team. And so I did and it went, I was pleased that it went well, um, not just because of me, but because of them. And uh, I thought, wow, I can really make a difference here, helping teams work better together. I can, that's really cool because I want to do that. I want to make life easier for people mm-hmm. and give them instant, easy solutions to implement. So that's what I've been doing. And then that grew into, I also do some strategic work because the background advertising strategy piece, I still like that. And then then people would say then, you know, well, wow, do you do career counseling? And um, at the time I hadn't been trained in career counseling, but I, with my background in the Jungian training I'd had and my Bachelor of Education, which was counseling, mm-hmm. um, I said, well, I can listen to you. Happy to listen, help you to listen. And so then I developed something called a deep dive into yourself, which is a four page. Um, oh, you developed that? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I thought, well, I could use this with people, a template to help them figure things out. So I made that. And um, I got coaching for from other people on it. Mm-hmm. And then I got another um, career coaching designation from uh, people in Toronto. I took some more courses. So it's funny how think pe- it just starts morphing. And then, um, yeah. So the thing, you know, you talked about the decision to quit the marketing company and and obviously that that must have been a hard decision because I find that you know you're kind of on this path of it's kind of the easy thing to do and so actually taking a step back and saying oh I'm not really enjoying this and the uncertainty that comes with quitting your stable you know well-paying job to do something and follow something following your you know we talk about the inner inner pilot light how did you how did you make that decision, what advice would you have for people who, you know, aren't loving their situation, but are too afraid to step out into that unknown? Well, I would say, allow yourself to listen to yourself. i my job as a coach is to really to help pull out what's in you. And you already have the answer. You already know. But depending on the situation, sometimes, like you said, people are afraid to know they're worried yeah. and I don't blame them. So if I'm coaching somebody for career work um, not everybody's going to do what I did you know I I so how did I know I I wasn't happy anymore I knew I found myself almost dragging myself into work Um, you'll know your body will tell you in fact your body will tell you um, and your mind will tell you Mm -hmm. sometimes your mind will override what your body is telling you because no but I've got this and this and this and this and I get that and I, I get that from clients all the time and I'll say that's fine what are the key things you need to do debt to pay off whatever you need to do before you allow yourself to think about moving on somewhere and that's fine go let's talk about how you get the debt paid off mm-hmm. then, then so so it, there's different steps involved so it isn't necessarily just a aha i get it i'm out of here that's not how it works it tends to build up over a period of time you realize as i said i realized i was sad that canada wasn't making things anymore and i realized that certain clients were now starting to take away the marketing function mm-hmm. And the right. advertising function, and it right. was going to globally. And I, I started reading the writing on the wall. It, it's there's there's a bit of common. There's a lot of common sense. There's a lot of realism. Like what is actually happening? Where is it going? And then talking to people, I researched. Where do you think this is going in Canada? What do you think is happening? And so I built up more of a case to show myself this is not going where I want it to go. So some people stayed in. That's fine. I wasn't happy staying in it. 
so then I moved to the and then I thought what I really want to do and what popped up to the top was go and see people that you that you love but for other people it won't be that it'll be well I want to go but I don't know how to go yet yeah and so then I will say well let me help you we'll do that so at the same time as I say if you need to pay down the debt we'll do that okay next will be where where might you like to work well I don't know okay fine then they do that deep dive part of which is who do you like and admire? What jobs interest you? Even if you can't do the job, I don't care. Let's just talk about what it could be. And then there's also headhunters who are useful. You have to tell them not to say anything to people. because Sometimes some of them tell secrets. But um, And also your network. And you have a bigger network than you know. So once I start showing clients, okay, who do you know in this? Who do you know? In, who does this? Which, etc. And we do a big, it's almost like a matrix. Of, wow, right. look at the people I know. And you just start going to see them. And you say, may I have 20 minutes of your time? I just want to ask you some questions about the job you're in. Do you like the place you're working? Um, I always teach people, go for the values of the organization. So look online. What's its mission statement? What are the values? And then meet people inside and say, how do, how do these values manifest? Right. Because they don't all manifest. So the big picture on that is then helping people to move on while still in their same job. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people can't quit. And I get that. So it's almost as if you're holding their hand as they make that leap into the unknown. Because it can be super scary and super hard to do. Yeah. And you just have to say, I'm going to do it one step at a time. Yeah. And yeah, most people take at least six months to find a new job. Right. Some people take a year and a half. I right. Guess had a client it was just a year and a half but that's okay no judgment it takes as long as it takes but remembering the key thing is you've got to find a place where you like the boss and you've got to make sure the boss is going to stick around right one job I took wonderful boss was thrilled couldn't wait to work with her and two weeks later she said I'm quitting (laughs) I hired you so you could take over well uh, I wasn't told that right Anyway, these things happen. Yeah. These things happen. So why do you like being a coach so much? What do you what do you like about it? I like the challenge of it. I like the challenge of helping someone um, and the challenge is a good challenge, so it's not it's it's exciting for me to mm. find out well somebody presents with this is who I am and I'm thinking of doing X and then working with them and finding out that they actually want to do X plus Y. Right. And giving them the confidence to go after that that piece. So what do I like? I like helping open people up to the possibilities that are there within them, um, showing them that they're there, helping them get there, giving them concrete ways to get there. That is a defining thing for me. I, I think if somebody says, oh, well, it was really nice to talk to Jane. It was like having a chocolate. It was great. Thanks very much. And I left, but I got nothing. That is where I feel I have I would fail. I need to make sure that I give you concrete ways to move ahead. And to your point about it take, you know, it, it, it's very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So th- I love helping people break it down, showing them, and it's just step by step by step. And then, then seeing them go off and, and flourish in the areas where they want to be. Right. I find that fascinating. I find people fascinating. So you are a very good listener. I'm telling you that. I'm not asking you because you you would say that you might not be but how can we all become better at listening in in our daily lives and you know that's something that you know we're taught but we all love to talk about ourselves and so I don't think that empathetic listening or, or what you would call it is necessarily natural so how can we become better at that 
I think the first thing to that is understanding yourself and understanding how you listen. And people listen in different ways. Some people listen, um, and you can see me, um, I take notes as I listen. Um, I can see that. And some, and some, so, so whenever I'm with clients, then I honestly will have extra paper and extra pen. And I just put it on the table. And they will just naturally grab it and start writing. Right. Um, being curious is the key. I think that is, if people can leave with one word, just be curious. So when somebody says, well, I'm thinking of becoming a ballet dancer. And you say, that's interesting. Why? What is it about ballet dancing that makes you want to be a ballet dancer? Well, and whatever they tell you is fascinating. And as you keep asking why and why, why, why? and why. <laughs> Then you'll find out, in fact, the person, she wanted to be a ballet dancer, but she actually can't be a ballet dancer, but she what she wants to do is work at the National Ballet School, and so we help her find a role in the National Ballet right. School. So it is it is curiosity. The other thing is is not being upset with yourself. Um, you know, extroverts tend to jump in when they question. Yeah. Extroverts speak to think. They talk. So they will cut each other off. That's normal in an extroverted world. The key thing is, if, and if you are extroverted, if you do speak to think, and half the population does that, that's the key thing to know about yourself. And then you can, you can manage that better by, when you're with people, not by jumping in so much. And then take, also take the pen and paper to jot down your thoughts, because mm-hmm. if you don't jot them down, you'll lose them. And that's what's hard about being an extrovert. Right. They go. That's why extroverts cut them, each other off. Plus, in an extroverted world, they're adding to what you're saying. But if you're an extrovert and you cut an introvert off, in their world, you have just been you have cut them off. That's the height of rudeness. So, if you're an extrovert, my advice is, take the pen and paper, jot down your points, think to yourself, I'm with somebody for 40 minutes. I'm going to make sure I listen for 10. How do I do that? Yeah. Pen and paper. Um, and then if you cut them off, you can say, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was interested in adding this because of that. And then listen and then stop. And when they finish, and my next piece of advice is you say, and is there anything else? Is there anything else? Mm-hmm. And then ask it a third time. Is there anything else? Mm-hmm. It's like wringing a water out of a cloth. Right. It's really interesting. Yeah. So if you can get yourself curious and interested to and, and understand that, Extroverts will probably keep talking to you until it's done. An introvert won't. Because introverts think to speak. So because they think to speak, they're not wanting to talk immediately. And people can misperceive that they don't have anything to say. When in fact, they have so much to say. Mm -hmm. So if you're curious, that's my suggestion. is Look for somebody who's talking a lot, someone who's not. Often though, introverts one-on-one will actually talk a lot. Right. In a big group of people, they won't. So without mentioning any names, one of your friends, your dear friend, is an introvert and you know what that person's like Mm -hmm. and how they work. Mm -hmm. In a big group of people, they probably don't say very much. Right. But what they're doing is they're listening. And what I always do with people like that is I always come up to them afterwards. And again, it's curiosity, right? And say, what else did you see? What else did you see? What else did you hear? And they'll tell you and it'll be something you have never, you didn't see. It's, it's so cool. So again, there's that fascination with what do, what do people see? So back to your cycling, back to how, how, do you, how do I listen? I'm constantly checking myself. Am I, have I asked that question at least three times? Um, have I written my notes down so I'm not jumping in? If I recognize another extrovert, 
then I know that, that that probably won't stop them from talking. But understanding how much that stops introversion from talking. And if you do that, then saying to the introvert, look, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Like saying, I didn't mean to cut you off, goes so far with them. Oh, okay, they're aware they cut me off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'll tell you some more. And it's not that they're holding back because they've got a grudge. Right. It just gets overwhelmed being bombarded with all that information. Is that? Yeah, helpful? that makes sense. I found too, it's so interesting because I was, I read that book, Coactive Coaching, and one of the exercises you're just supposed to speak by only asking questions. And I did that with one of my friends and I was just, oh my, I was so surprised because, you know, I have a tendency to say, you know, if someone were to say, oh, they're interested in ballet, then I would say, oh, here's a story about someone I knew who was in ballet instead of saying, you know, what is it about it? Why do you, you know, so... Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And there's some people who, if you're, if you happen to be with them, and you'll notice, because people will tell you, mm-hmm. just be focused on their body language as well as their words. But if you're with somebody who, well, so I'll give you an example. When I went through this will dovetail into my divorce, when I was going through the divorce, a friend of mine sent me to a psychiatrist, uh, covered by OHIP. It, you know, go and see this person. Yeah. And I said, okay. So I went to see the person and all this person did was ask question after question after question after question. And what I found in that situation was I was so frustrated because I didn't want to be answering questions anymore. Mm-hmm. I wanted advice. Right. I wanted help. And and it was and, and I said, so if I come back another time, what happens here? Well, you you know, we'll ask you more questions. And I, I never went back again. Right. right. So that's my other piece of advice. Interesting. If you are, whatever help you're getting, and help is so important to get, but if you if you find that it's not helping you, go get another other help. And do not assume that that's the only way the help comes. It comes in, think of the meadow and all those flowers. It comes in all those different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I did. I stopped going to see that person because I was so frustrated. Yeah. And I went to... I couldn't imagine you frustrated. <laughs> I, but I, you know, I was at a, I was at a critical point in my yeah. life, and I was not getting good advice. Right. It was not helpful for me. Mm-hmm. And um, then I went to see somebody who has a master's in social work, and that person was excellent. And um, if anybody here is listening and is at a, a company, many companies have what's called EAP, which is Employee Assistance Program, and you can go and you can um, call them up and everybody has the number and it's all confidential and say I mm. need to come and see you and then you go to their offices and you go and see them and, right. and so that's what I did and I used EAP at my ad agency and um, met with this wonderful woman who had her master's in social work and told her my frustration that's the other thing be honest I went and tried this this didn't work for me this is what I think is going to work for me at the moment would you be able to do that for me and this fantastic lady said yeah of course start let's just start chatting I'll listen and I'll, I'll give you my, my suggestions, um, which is what I wanted. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted. Some right. people don't. Right. So my advice there is go and find what works for you because it's out there. Mm-hmm. I think that's really hard to do too. And it's good to know that the, just because you don't connect with someone doesn't mean that there aren't other options. Oh my gosh. Right? Yeah. And that's the thing. That's the thing I worry about the most with the work that mm-hmm. I do. And I, I tell people this, that, you know, if, that if I've said something that inadvertently upset somebody, didn't make them feel good, made them wonder, I always say, please come and tell me because I, I'm, I take that responsibility. That's my job. 
to, to find out if, if I didn't do it well, right. you telling me makes me a better person. It makes me do it better. It's, 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 um, and it's so key for you that I treat you with that respect and that care. That's key for me. Mm-hmm. And when you're going to find help, ask them. You can ask these people. So what do you do to make sure you're treating this person with respect? Just ask them the question. Right. See what they say. Some people out there who are therapists are fantastic. And again, think of that field of flowers, and there's all kinds of them. Mm-hmm. Some people out there aren't. Mm-hmm. They did a great job in university. They got great marks. They sailed all the way through and got whatever they've got and they've got the papers and the the words behind their name to prove it and then you go to them and you think whoa and uh you know it's true even another corollary to that was when i got married again that's the other nice part of the story um my husband and i decided that we wanted to get married um by a justice of the peace or by a marriage what are they called marriage minister or something we didn't want to get married in a church this time, and that, whatever. So, even if you were getting married in the church, go and interview to find who you want to marry you. Right. And this one person we went to, she had done this marriage. She was a marriage minister, and she'd done it for years. And the fascinating thing was, we went to see her, which was great. But she sat down and she put a book, a binder, in front of us like a big menu, uh, and said, "Okay, flip through, see what you think. Uh, see, I change things here. I do this here." And I could do that for you, no problem. And and it was just, can you imagine, you're getting married and you're excited and this is great and you sit down on this person's couch yeah. and they throw a big thick binder in front of you with, it seriously looks like being at a, like a diner with old pages in it that have been, the prices have been updated right. and words have been changed and you flip through with, you know, in, in plastic sleeves what you want to get. And, and the two of us just looked at each other and thought, we're, we're out of here. And mm-hmm. that's someone who's done it for so long that she, she didn't feel it anymore. Right. It was just a job. So I know I keep going back to this, but it's really important. If it's not working for you, mm-hmm. there's two things you can do. You can say, here's how it would work for me with you. Would you be willing to do that for me? Mm-hmm. Or you can simply say, thank you very much. That's great. Stop it and go and find somebody else. Right. The key thing, though, in all of this is self-awareness. What do I need? And what you need is correct. doesn't matter what anybody tells you. Mm-hmm. That's from their perspective. So mm-hmm. when you, you ask me about coaching, I'm constantly trying to figure out what is what is Jake's perspective? Mm-hmm. What is Jennifer's perspective? It doesn't matter what mine is. I need to hear what, what their pilot light's all about, and I need to understand. And by pilot light, you and I have talked about this, but I use the word pilot light because I really believe there's this um, uh, pilot light in you. There's, there's a, there's a, that, that's burning there quietly, and it, it, it's, a call, it's a calm, quiet voice. And it's the one that helps us guide ourselves, I believe. Um, it's like a, a rudder. And um, it get, dispenses excellent inform- excellent advice. And it's yours. You, you, you're born with it. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced of it after 18 years of doing this. I'm convinced of it. I see it over and over again. Um, and that's the other thing, too, is, you know, I was telling you how I work. When you meet people... On, again, interview them before you hire them. And some people will say, you have to pay me 100 bucks because that's what my session costs. That's fine. Go pay the 100 bucks and say, this session is all about me determining whether I want to work with you, whether mm-hmm. it will work. Right. That's what this session's about. Right. And you say to that, them before you get there that that's what you want to do. And if they won't do that, then don't go and see them. Because mm-hmm. any therapist, any coach, should be completely open to that. 
Right. Because also, if there's no connection with the coach, with the person, yeah. it doesn't work. Right. So taking time up front to make sure is your right. Mm-hmm. And it's you looking after you. Mm-hmm. And your pilot light will tell you. You know, the things that come to you when you're sitting there, they either come to you through your head, through your heart, through your through your hand, writing. Right. Um, trust it. And if you don't know, then then say you don't know. That's a decision. A lot of people will say, oh, that's not a decision. It certainly is. You've made a decision that you don't know. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Absolutely. Go back and then you'll figure out. And with that kind of person, whoever it is, you may not ever know with them. That's all you need to know. I didn't quite know with them, so I moved on to somebody else. Right. Okay. Doesn't right. mean you're saying anything bad about them. Absolutely. You just didn't know. Yeah. But you've made a decision to not make a decision about them right now, except the decision is that you might look at somebody else as well. Perfect. Right. That's the other thing I talk about in coaching, and I'm sure the therapists do. And, and again, being clear, I am not a registered therapist. I'm a coach. Um but people, I call them baseball bats. People will beat themselves up, and I hear them every time. Well, I can't do this because I, I'm this, that, or the other. Or somebody told me this, or somebody told me that, or I'm telling myself this. And then I'll say, will you give me permission to take those baseball bats those, you, that you're using with yourself, and we can put them on the table. And I usually you know, put a pen down or something to show them. There they are. They're sitting right there. I know they're there. It's okay. But could we just talk without them there for a bit? And people will try, and that's great. And the baseball bats will come back again. And baseball bats, of course, are simply worry, anxiety. Yeah. And then you show them, this is what you're worried about and you're anxious about. Fair enough. How do we deal deal with that? Mm -hmm. And we can deal with that. Can we ever take it away all the time? No. Mm -hmm. But but every human being, again, think of that flower, that meadow. Every human being is carrying them. And then you realize, oh, okay, I'm not the only one. No, you're not. Yeah. And people mask that too it's true right and understandable again that's the other thing listen listen without judgment if you if you if one is saying well what do i think of what jake just said is that Mm -hmm. good is it bad if you're doing that that's like putting your fingers in your ears you're not listening right the key thing is to listen without judgment and listen with curiosity and compassion Mm -hmm. awesome it's a good answer (laughs) (laughs) thank you um and so you touched on it a little bit, but you experienced a, a divorce and, you know, it seems to me that there were some parallels in, in those situations in that, you know, it's a hard thing still in society to get divorced and, and make that decision. And despite that, you knew that it wasn't working for you. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how you made that decision, but you decided that you were going to change. And so tell me a little bit about that and what helped you come to that decision, which again, I would see is, is quite hard to decide. So, so the good thing, so a couple of things. One, my father gave me advice when I was about 12 and he said, Janie, first of all, know that you can never change a man. Secondly, do not be a rescuer. And thirdly, marry the kindest man you can find. And he told me that when I was 12. And that was great advice because when, when it started to unravel and it started quickly, and most of, most of the time it does. I mean, not, not all the time, but many times. So instead of saying to myself, oh, oh, well, I guess this just happens, I thought to myself, no, this is not kind. This person is not being kind. 
and I certainly asked what's going on and whatever and this person you know, I said well I realize my actions have consequences but I don't always think about that and I thought to myself well you don't always think about that and and so I started gathering like I do like I, I advise everybody gather evidence for what is not for what you wish it would be mm-hmm. what is it really what's happening mm-hmm. and so I realized that it was bottom line it was it was not nice it was not nice and and I was very unhappy and I cried so much that I, I went to a walk-in clinic and it was a very wise doctor, a, a guy who said to me, what? he said, you're here because your eye, you know, your eye's puffy, but what's going on there? Why are you really crying so much? Hmm. See the listening? See the right. brilliance? Why are you crying so much? And I told it wasn't, oh, yeah, she's got this thing, we'll get her out. It was that compassion and compassionate listening. Mm-hmm. And I told him and he said, well, you don't have to stay in that. And I said, you're right, I don't have to stay in that. And I knew myself that I didn't have to stay in that. Your pilot light knew. Yeah. And also the advice from my father was going through my head, which was marry the kindest man you can find. You cannot change somebody. Um, you And don't be a rescuer. Don't think you can fix them. Not just change. Mm-hmm. Don't think you can fix. And so all of that was going through my head. And, and, I, and I started to pull back and watch even more. And I realized that was true. So then I actually went and got some, I asked him to come for counseling with me. And in the counseling, he put on his happy, lovely face. And I thought, okay, there it is. That's how he copes in life. You know, when I said I got married to somebody, it it wasn't so that it was was to be an awful time in my life. It was supposed to be wonderful. Mm -hmm. People who say to you, uh, here's the truth about it. Marriage will give you, marriage is really 100% of your happiness. Why is that? Not because I'm dependent on my partner for everything, but right. if you come home and it's not happy, your life will not be happy. Right. It doesn't matter what you do outside of it. You might get some respite, but you'll still be hanging on to worry, frustration, angst, whatever it is. So I put all this together and thought, anyway, so I thought, no, no, I'm not doing this. Right. And I thought to myself, so, okay, now you're going to get divorced. And that's right. That was a big deal. Whoa, I'm going to get divorced. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I had a cousin who had been divorced. So that was, that was okay. Somebody in my family has been divorced. Right. But not in my immediate family. And um, my parents were, I knew they would be fine, of course. But then it's sort of going, okay, I'm going to be, a, I'm going to get divorced. And then it's, okay, but so you're going to be a divorce statistic. Who cares? You were a high school graduate statistic. Right. You're a statistic of somebody who likes Bordeaux cherry ice cream. Who cares? The great thing is you live in a country where you can get divorced and you can move on with your life. And people, people, you know, you, people present and, and he presented in a way that I thought meant that he would be great. And it turned out he wasn't. I didn't see the full person. So how did you get past that, that worry and anxiety? Because that's something that I think we all have a hard time. You know, that, that thought of, oh, I'm just going to be another statistic. You know, this is what I can do. That's your rational brain kicking in, but it's hard to get past that stress of what is to be. How did you do that? I think partly too, it was one needs to, again, it's that protecting yourself and protecting your pilot light and knowing that you came to the planet with, and and you deserve to be happy. Mm -hmm. however you define happiness and happiness is actually a verb you have to make yourself happy right it's not just a noun so 
take the responsibility. Jane, you've got to take the responsibility right. for this. You wish it could be elsewhere. And of course, I spent some time wishing right. that it could change. Right. But I didn't spend a lot of time wishing it could change because I kept watching. So, I, so this, the, the sequence was, I realized I was unhappy. Yeah. I pulled back. I realized those actions were, it wasn't nice. Mm-hmm. I went, then went to counseling. I realized he had his, his show that he put on. Right. And then I thought, and in my pilot, I felt sick. I felt sick. And my, you know, I know I had cried. And I thought, this is not how you want to live your life. Yeah. And then I thought, do you want to bring a child into this? Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. And then I thought, you know, again, it's back to anything. I, I deserve to be happy. I deserve to be with, I'm a good person. I deserve to be with a good person. And I think that's critical for everybody going through whatever they're going through is to understand you're a good person. And I deserve to be happy. And I deserve to be happy, however my happiness is. Yeah. And then once you start sharing that you, you need help to get out, man, do you get help. Right. It's, it's wonderful. So trust that people will help you. And that's what I, I trusted that I would get help. And I, I had a plan on how I was going to get out. And I wanted to be safe because as a female terrible in this society how people are hurt and men are stronger than women mm-hmm. and I was afraid mm-hmm. so I talked to a friend of mine's husband who was a lawyer and he said you don't have to talk to him face to face you can take write a note and put it, leave it on the floor of your house and leave and that's exactly what I did mm. it was brilliant no I don't have to sit at a table right and explain no, yeah. I can just write a note put it on the floor and leave which I did right. and then phoned and left a message on the phone at home and I knew he would pick it up saying it is over this is my lawyer and I'd like you to talk to my lawyer and I'm not going to talk to you again goodbye oh. so when you so you yeah so it, it seemed very abrasive at the end but there was no nice way of doing it yeah. and I knew I had to protect myself and, and again I'm a good person I deserve a good life and I don't deserve to hang around trying to make, remember my father, you can't fix them and you can't change them. Mm-hmm. So all of that was going through my head and I trusted it and it was, it was true. Mm-hmm. And the help I got was wonderful. I mean, you know, your parents, every, people came out of the woodwork to help me, mm-hmm. to look after me. And that will happen with you too, whoever right. is listening. Um, because, you know, people want to help each other. They don't want somebody to go through something like that. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there are some people out there, and it's very sad. I mean, from a, if you were a therapist, you know, you know, would you take on a client like that to help them? Probably because I've gone through it, I wouldn't. Right. Um, And there are some people who really can't be helped at a certain stage, which is sad because they won't face the scary things. And I feel very sorry for them. Um, and this is going to dovetail into something else, which is some people will say, well, you must forgive in order to be, to move on. And I don't believe that. I hmm. don't believe, I, I don't forgive him for what he did to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was not nice. It was unhappy. He was mean. Um, but so there's a, there's a psychologist named Alice Miller, who mm-hmm. is a Swedish, no Swiss lady who, um, wrote, translated her works into English and she talks about that you don't have to forgive what you what what you want to do though is to look at it and talk about it and say okay these are the reasons I'm angry these are the reasons I'm upset I have every right to be upset I have every right to be angry and he, he did this and he did this and talk about it until you have processed it so hmm. you talk about it you get it out 
you think if something else bothered you and something else bothered you, that's normal. Good. Get it out. Say this is what happened and have someone validate it for you. Yeah, they did this. That was crappy. Yeah. That was really bad. And the more, but when you talk about it and you put it out and people validate you, then you say, okay, I can put that down and I'm going to move on from it. I'm, I'm not going to think about it anymore because it's not helping me to think about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's, it's like, I've actually chewed through it all. I'm done. The plate is clean. I'm, I'm going. But I, you know, there may be people listening to what I'm saying now who would vehemently disagree with me. You have to forgive to move on. I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Because there are things that are absolutely unforgivable. Absolutely. And why would you forgive somebody for yeah. in my world? Yeah. And they need to be held accountable. And and even though they're not there, you can still hold them accountable right. because you can talk to right. you. You can, the other things I've told clients, you can write a letter, write a letter to that person, put everything in it and then send it to yourself, email and read it and go, yes, exactly. And that happened and validate yourself right. and show somebody else and say, yeah, that was really crummy. Mm-hmm. Wow. No wonder you left. Good for you to leave. So sometimes in life, the gift is saying, no, Yeah. no, no, not going to. Awesome. Last question is, uh, how do you find meaning in your life? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a good one. I think as I go through my life, um, a couple of ways, first of all, nature, and I don't even know what I'm going to feel. I just know that I need to be in it mm-hmm. and it could be anywhere. It could be, you know, walking on a tree going down Young street. Um, it could be going to a lake in Northern Ontario. It could be whatever it is. So I find meaning by finding peace, um, gentleness. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's a place I find meaning and the peace and gentleness can come in nature, it can come through music. Mm-hmm. It can be sitting at a uh, any kind of music, any kind of symphony, any kind of guitar one on one. I heard an, you know something you're hearing on your your podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning, um, so there's that. Then there's meaning through people, and people who you know just being able to be in the company of wonderful people gives me huge meaning because I always look for what can I learn from them. There's always something I can learn from somebody mm-hmm. and it makes my life richer and more interesting. Mm-hmm. So that's, I find meaning through that. I find meaning through having people over and entertaining and making food, really good food. <laughs> I love food. I find great meaning in food. Um, I don't know, maybe it's just b- touching the earth and the abundance from the earth and the beauty of it and, and bringing joy to people through food as well. You know, it's, it's like sight, sound, taste. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? And I also like getting myself to find meaning where I didn't know I would find it and that's cool so curious about wow I didn't realize that I would find meaning by you know today I I missed the bus that I could have hopped on to get here and but the meaning was so what happened out of that well I was walking along and I saw something that's called a poster for Banksy something that must be some kind of art but I wouldn't have noticed that so I'm going to get that and then you came to find me so there is another wonderful generous look what happened Jake came to find you that made you feel so good that Jake came to find you that wouldn't have happened if you'd taken the bus so mm. it's 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 trying to so meaning out of things that you know may not have any meaning at all mm-hmm. but if you can find 
find the good. Sometimes you can't find the good on that day. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's and that is real. So when you can't find the good, then I go back to throw two ways that I do feel, make myself feel better by reading a book again that I know makes me happy, um, listening to really uplifting music, Earth, Wind, and Fire fantasy. That's my favorite thing to listen to. Um, calling somebody up I haven't seen in a while and I want to see them. Texting so cool because you can text people so fast to see if they're home. Yeah. And and then actually talking to them on the phone. So that's important is is finding for me if I'm feeling sad, if I'm feeling that things aren't working out, remind myself, well, things do work out. They may not work out the way you see. So in the meantime, do something that you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, walk to the library and get yourself a book. Turn on the music that you like. Listen to the podcast that you like. There is something you can do. Sometimes if you're so depressed that you think, I can't do anything, and I get that, then if, and that's if, if you can just call someone to say, look, I'm really feeling down, mm-hmm. they, and they will, and you know that they're somebody you can trust, and they come, it helps. Mm-hmm. Even to hold their hand. Even if you're crying and you can't think of anything to say, mm-hmm. they came. They came, and it, it, and if that's in quotes, all all you get for that day, that's everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be that you allow yourself. It, it gets back to treating yourself well. Treat yourself well. Um, you know, going and buying a bouquet of flowers in, in in the in the shop because that made you happy. Mm-hmm. That's really great. But it's interesting too. I find the the difference between meaning and happiness because a lot of people, you know chasing happiness we can't the reality is we're not going to be happy all the time and no. you can find meaning in a lot of things you do even if you're not necessarily happy and yes. so there's there's all these books on how to be happy and how to be happy and that's so important but you know chasing meaning instead can bring you a whole bunch of other things that you never would have expected that's brilliantly said so if i can go back to the divorce what I learned from that divorce that certainly didn't make me happy yeah. was that there are people who are, um, you know, it's, it's called, they say nasty things a lot all the time. That's called verbally, being verbally abusive. Mm-hmm. And I knew, <clears throat> I know what that is. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, what am I going to do with that? Yeah. So now when I hear people, if they're going through it, I can tell, I'll say, that's actually verbal abuse. Let me give you a name for that. There's a book out there called The Verbally Abusive Relationship by Patricia Evans. Please buy it. Please read it. I've even had in, in counseling companies where I've, somebody said, well, we hired so-and-so and <clears throat> we know they came from a very good family and we know they're great, but they seems to be having a bit of problems in the office. Do you want to come in and do some, some work with us on that? And I said, sure, I'd be happy to, but let me figure out what I think's going on. So I went in there and I, and I, and I talked to that person and I talked to the other person. And as mm-hmm. I listened, I thought, okay, we've, we've got somebody who's verbally abusive here. And I said to them, to the owners of the business, this is what's going on. You've got someone who's verbally abusive. Here's this book. I take it with me everywhere. <clears throat> Here's the page I want you to read right now. Right. I actually don't want any money. Because I don't, I can't work with that person. I can't counsel him. I cannot fix him. Mm-hmm. But if you, uh, so, and my recommendation would be that you seriously think about how much longer you're going to have him working here. Right. And they said, oh, no, no, we don't think you're right. So that's fine. Great. And I got a call three months later saying, you were right. <laughs> He's 
cause a lot of problems in here, and we, mm-hmm. we got rid of them. Thank you. And I said, you're welcome. And again, I'm not able to pick everything up. Yeah. <clears throat> but because I went through that, I have that. And I, and I remember at the time thinking, how can I use this? Right. How can I use what happened? So you can find meaning through, through suffering, through what you've been through. Right. And would I choose it to have suffering? No. No. Of course not. Right. <clears throat> so my answer to you there is, you know, minimize, minimize your suffering. You know, yes, things happen in life that make it hard, but <clears throat> there really is this meadow of people always around you, um, <clears throat> who you, who you, who you're given. Mm-hmm. And and it, you just reach out. And nowadays, you know, you don't have to phone. You can text. You can email. Because mm-hmm. some people they can't talk on the phone about things like right. that. <clears throat> I totally understand that. Yeah. Um, and now there's, I think, what's important about what you know what you're doing with Jack.org and. Mm-hmm places like that that they're getting media so people know that they exist mm-hmm. and I can imagine if somebody's really sad and they think about oh yeah so what's jack.org going to do yeah what's the suicide helpline going to do they're not going to do anything if you if one is that depressed that's what one can think right so that's why if, if you can I don't know write down a piece of paper for people just when I get when I, I you know when I have my black day yeah and I'm feeling bad these are the things I might say right I'm going to call this person yeah. and write the phone number there and have that person ready for you to call. Absolutely. Them. Now, is that hard to do? Yeah, that's hard to do. You know, people think, oh, that's easy. <clears throat> no. yeah. I remember when I was depressed about my divorce, I couldn't even put a stamp on an envelope. Hmm. I know what that feels like. Yeah. But luckily I was, I was living with, with people at the time who helped me. Hmm. So I think <clears throat> somehow if you have, I don't know, everybody, if I could give everybody, you know, a coaster that says, I'm a good person. And I deserve to to feel to feel happy, and and I deserve, um, and and I'm going to look after myself that mm-hmm. way. I think that's what I would give them. Mm-hmm. Just simple reminder, because people can they can say, oh, well, I deserved, <clears throat> you know, that when terrible things happen, people say, oh, you know, I guess it came for a reason. No, it didn't come for a reason. Life, these crummy things pop up. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe for one minute that somebody out there is saying, well, so Jane will go through this, Jake will go through that, Francine right. will go through this, and Bob will go through this. Right. Won't that be fun? Right. No. Crappy things happen. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's, just the, it's just the oddness of life, things, yeah. confluence of events. Right. But they aren't meant to happen to anyone. Mm-hmm. Sadly, they happen to everybody. Right. Everybody <laughs> seems to get it right. in whatever way it is. Yeah. But... That's when the meadow of people around you are there for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and please, please use them. And I know that that can seem really hard. Yeah. But that's that one coaster. If you could make it for yourself that says, I am a good person. I really am. And there are people out there who, who will help me. Th- there are. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, meaning... Perfect. Having conversations like this with you, mm-hmm. that's where I find meaning too. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to figure out the universe. It's hard. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up? Um, uh, I'd just like to say I feel honored that you wanted to talk to me. I feel honored that you want to talk to me. And I'm really proud of um, what you've done. I'm really, really glad that you've, you, you're, you have looked after yourself. And so I hope you put that in your, it's like putting a chip in the bank. You Mm -hmm. know what? Yeah, I had a really tough time, 
but I, I did look after myself. Mm-hmm. And how did I do it? And then look at the nuts and bolts of what, of what you've done. Mm-hmm. I did this, and I did this, and I did that. That didn't work. This worked. This didn't work. But it's interesting to have that. Yeah. Again, and everybody gets that, and they're like, well, okay, yeah, yeah, there's the chip in the bank. I, I did look after myself there. Mm-hmm. I, if I did it once, I can do that again. And I don't have to do that by myself. And, and people people care about you so much, Jake. As they, Everybody who's listening to this, people really care about you too, mm-hmm. wherever you are. Mm-hmm. So, again, I go back to just repeating. Just say to yourself, I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. And if that gives you, and that will, it will give you enough energy to just either pick up the phone or text somebody to get help. And mm-hmm. it will start mm-hmm. just a bit at a time. And you'll say, well, you know, I, I did do that. Okay. If it happens again, I can do it again. And yeah. remember, life does it. It just happens. It is in no way because of who you are. No way. It's the Absolutely. randomness of life. And I wish they would teach this. There's my. Th- I wish they I would teach this in school. The random things that are tough will happen. And here's what to do. Here's some ways to cope. And you're a good person. And the sun eventually will come out again. But... It can take a while sometimes, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you didn't bring it on yourself. You don't deserve to be having be going to suffer. No. No. I, I fundamentally disagree with that. And plus, and if something terrible has happened, you don't have to forgive. But what we really want you to do is say, I am a good person, and I'm, I'm going to look at what happened, and I'm going to move on from it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take whatever lessons I can take from that for myself, for managing myself as best I can. And then if, if something else happens, then I can, I'll look out for somebody else and they will help me. It takes a village of people. It takes a people, a team of people in your life to help you. Absolutely. And it's interesting who they are and how they come into your life. And sometimes they pop in and out. Yeah. But they came for the, they came and that's great. Yeah. Some absolutely. will stick around. That's good too. But you're a good person and you deserve to have a decent life. Mm-hmm. And yes, some yucky things will happen. You didn't bring them on. You don't deserve them. And because you're a good person and you ask for help, you will find it and you will move on and, and the sun will come out again. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.